0: With training camp just around the corner, several veterans could potentially be on the roster bubble for the Seahawks. Which offensive players could have rookies and incoming newcomers gunning for their jobs? Dallas Cooper and I are going to be breaking it all down in a bonus edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On podcast network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for this bonus episode by my co-host, Dallas Cooper and a special thanks to all the 12s out there whether you are listening in Germany or you're listening nearby in Boise, Idaho. We greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're going to continue our training camp preview today going to the tight end position and we're also going to be talking about players on the hot seat offensive side of the football as we draw closer to training camp. Without further ado, Let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on this bonus episode of Locked On Seahawks. In the past, the Seahawks have had several big-name veterans that have received a pink slip at the end of training camp. Sometimes they've been surprising. Sometimes they've been predictable. But veterans coming into training camp have to be keeping a close eye in the rear of mirror because there's always incoming rookies. You get all the excitement about draft picks, the undrafted players coming in, free agent signings. And when those players join the team, they're going to be gunning for playing time. That can leave veterans a bit susceptible. And this year, no different Dallas on both sides of the football. There's certainly going to be some veterans on the offensive side of the football that could be on the hot seat, a little bit on the roster bubble heading into training camp. And I'm going to dish the mic to you first here. And we're talking about bubble players on offense. And I'm going to admit, I actually had a kind of hard time with this one because I feel like the offense... Most of the veterans that are on the roster, it feels like their spot is pretty well set. But there are a couple position groups where you can make some strong arguments for a few players that have been on the team the last couple years that they might not necessarily be a lock to be on this football team
1: when they play the Rams in week one. And let's go into the running back position first, especially talking about rookies. The position that was drafted twice in this past draft was running back. Zach Charbonnet, and Kenny McIntosh, which unfortunately puts DJ Dallas in an unfortunate spot where he's on the hot seat now. He was kind of regulated to that third down passing down role, and he was fighting time last season with Homer. Now this time, the Seahawks are bringing in two backs that have experience with passing down roles in Zach Charbonnet and Kenny McIntosh, especially McIntosh. And again, this is really unfortunate as Dallas had a successful season last year, Mm -hmm. averaging over five yards a carry. He showed the ability to actually be a back that can get some touches in the NFL and a team could really use him. And he's a special teams ace, whether it's coveraging, whether it's returning, he's done it all. And he's been on all facets of the team. And that's invaluable with a lower depth piece on the roster. But he is on the hot seat, being that there is multiple names that are coming into that position. And another guy is Joey Hunt. Now, this might be an interesting one for Seattle fans as not much people will be thinking that he will make the roster. And it's going to be tough because Olu Oluwotimi is going to be coming in from University of Michigan. Seattle fans are extremely excited about that. And not only that, Evan Brown coming in from the lines is going to be a huge pickup at the center spot. But Evan Brown also has the ability to play guard. So injuries are always going to be a question mark. And Joey Hunt, with he's been in Seattle twice now. This is his second stint. He's been in the NFL yep. for six seasons now, over half a decade. He brings the grit and the toughness that you would want in a backup lineman and a guy that you just want as a rotation piece. Now, is he really going to get rotation snaps? Probably not. But he could be somebody that could potentially make the roster and is on that edge due to his position, or not his positional versatility, but due to other people on the interior line's positional versatility.
0: Yeah, Olutimi is a center exclusively. So if you end up in a position where he wins that starting job and then the Seahawks are not happy at right guard, they slide Evan Brown to right guard, I would think in a game that Brown would move to center if Olutimi got banged up and they would sub into Haynes or Bradford. But... You do raise a really valid point. Joey Hunt has started quite a few games in the NFL. The Seahawks know what he can bring to the table. They know what his limitations are, but he is a very sound leader in the trenches. He's a good communicator. He played with a broken fibula the year that he started in place of Justin Britt. I mean, the guy is tough as nails. He's undersized. Again, there's limitations, but that would maybe be an avenue for him to get on his football team, but he is definitely a veteran's on the hot seat. And I think Dallas, unfortunately, Again, as you mentioned, we talked about this a few times in the show. I'm a big fan of DJ Dallas, and I think he plays the game the right way, and he catches the football like a receiver. He's improved in pass protection. He's one of their best special teams players. That would be the reason I still think that he has a really good chance to make this football team. But unlike last year where I felt like he was a lot going in, I think with Kenny McIntosh and Zach Charbonnet, particularly McIntosh because he has those receiver skills Second in the country for running backs last year, receiving yardage. He is a guy that can really be a weapon in the passing game, and he's an underrated pass protector. So, if McIntosh wins a third down roll, Seattle might not carry more than three backs on their 53 man roster. But I think Dallas's ability to play in special teams is going to help him. For my two players on the hot seat, I'm going to start with a guy that's on the hot seat because he hasn't been available. And that is D. Eskridge. He's got big time talent. And we saw it some this offseason. He had his first offseason in Seattle where he participated the entire time. He was healthy. He was explosive. He was making plays on the practice field. If that translates to training camp and he's able to stay healthy, that's a big if because he's had a lot of issues staying on the field. But if he can stay healthy, this is still a guy that's a 4 3. 40-yard dash guy. He has amazing explosiveness. He can win downfield. He has different skills than Jackson Smith and Jigba, who can win vertically downfield, but that's not really his game. D. Eskridge can take the top off of defense. We just haven't been able to see it because he can't get in a rhythm because he's constantly been banged up and he's had extended stays on injured reserve. He's had extended stays where he's been out with concussions so he just hasn't been able to get in a rhythm, but he's definitely on the hot seat now because you've got Jackson Smith and Jake, but you've got Derek Young. You got a couple really intriguing undrafted players in Matt Landers and Jake Bobo. You got Cody Thompson back, Cade Johnson's back. There is a lot of talent on this receiving core that is going to be gunning for one of those roster spots. And Eskridge is not just going to make the team because he was a second round pick. So I do think the hot seat is definitely on him. And Jake Curhan is the other player that I'm going to go with. And it kind of stems off the argument that you were making. And, and Curhan's like DJ Dallas for me. I'm a big fan. I loved what he did as a starter filling in for Brandon Shell a couple of years ago. I thought when he played last season, he looked really out of place at guard. But that seems to be where the Seahawks are viewing him right now is as a reserve guard. The problem is because Evan Brown can play guard and you've got Phil Haynes, you've got Bradford. I just don't know that there is necessarily going to be a spot. It is possible that the Seahawks could keep just four interior offensive linemen and they may keep only three tackles. And if they do that, Jake Curran is the odd man out because Stone Forsythe is going to be the backup tackle. He's going to be your swing tackle. And then you've got in the interior, you've got Oluwatimi Brown. You might keep five interior guys and you're still not going to have a spot for Jake Curran. So i I don't know necessarily that his spot is safe. In fact, I would say that right now I'm starting to wonder if maybe he is on the wrong side of the bubble just because of a numbers game and the fact that they are probably going to be playing him a lot inside, and that is not his natural position. He is better off at tackle, but there are some athletic limitations there that Stone Forsyth does not have, and he is better suited to play both tackle positions. So I would say that Eskridge and Kerhand are probably the two players that – I think for different reasons, are potentially going to be on the hot seat and on the wrong side of the roster bubble. They're going to have to have strong training camps to ensure that they are on this roster. This bonus episode of Locked on Seahawks is brought your way by FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks or you'll land, and you'll land, $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200. You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. It's all in the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet. On Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get $200 in bonus bets. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. You're listening to the bonus edition here of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for today's show by my co host, Dallas Cooper. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For our everydayers out there, we'll have our Blue Friday episode coming tomorrow. I'll be joining Nick Lee. We'll continue our Forecast Friday series with Ken Walker, the third on offense, and Bobby Wagner coming back to Seattle on defense. You won't want to miss a jam packed episode. Let's continue our training camp preview. It's hard to believe, Dallas, but we are just a little over two weeks away from report day in Seattle. And knock on wood, this is not a bad thing, but this has felt like an off season that has moved quicker than normal. And that is a good problem to have. But training camp is going to be here before we know it. And the Seahawks have a number of talented players on offense. And one position group that maybe isn't getting talked about as much right now is the tight end position, and it's interesting because I don't know that there was a trio of tight ends when you're looking at all-around games who were more impactful than what Will Disley, Noah Fant, and Kobe Parkinson were for the Seahawks making the postseason last year. They did the dirty work in the trenches. They made clutch first-down receptions. They made some clutch touchdown catches. The numbers maybe weren't gaudy, but as an entire group, over a 1,000 receiving yards between the three of them, they even got a touchdown from Tyler Mabry, and yet – with Jackson Smith and Jigba now entering the mix, another stud running back and Zach Charbonnet. I mean, there's one football on the field. I just don't know necessarily that the production is going to be able to match the talent in this position group, and that to me is the essential question. Is the production going to be able to match the talent? Because I think it's going to be tricky to do that unless there's some injuries other in positions, just because I don't know how many targets are
1: actually going to go to these tight ends. I think to determine how successful they are this season, it's not going to be based off of volume stats. What it's going to be based off of with this tight end group is going to be efficiency. How efficiency is the offense moving when multiple tight ends are on the field, when there's one tight end on the field, depending on which tight end is on the field, that's going to be the big factor in determining how successful this tight end group is. But going back to how important they were this past season and how impactful they were, and you were right, Corbin, it is Arguably no team in the league that could say that three tight ends were impactful and as impactful as the Seahawks trio. And let's not even put out the numbers. Let's go back to the first game of the year against the Denver Broncos when nobody thought the Seahawks had any chance last season at the playoffs. Now, what started and gave Seattle hope for the season? What started that whole first game? Will Disley scoring a touchdown and bringing the fire into the team and really making everyone believe that they had a chance at beating Russell Wilson in that week one. And they did. And that set precedence for the entire season. Will Disley was that guy. And even going back to his rookie season, early in that season, he was going off too. Will Disley has consistently, when healthy, been a great player and a great receiver. The health is the biggest question mark and how much potential he really has because of the now speed is not as big of a factor and everything else. But also let's factor in a guy like Noah Fant who tied, in, tied his career high with four touchdowns. Now, Corbin, I don't think the volume stats are going to be that great. And because, as you said, there's only going to be one ball. But in terms of efficiency, I think this tight end route is going to be top five in the league. I think that they still could be in terms of talent. I just think that the
0: national narrative is not going to match that because the numbers aren't there, and that's what people are going to look at. But these tight ends, all three of them, really we can say all four. Tyler Mabry is a capable player, but he has not been able to get onto the active roster consistently because of the three players that we just mentioned. But Colby Parkinson is the player in this group that I still think has the highest ceiling. And I know Noah Fant is more athletic ran a four or five coming out of Iowa. He was a first round pick and he can do a lot of really cool things as a receiver. You can move them all over the place. But when you have a six, seven target that can run like a gazelle and has soft hands like Colby Parkinson does, I mean, this guy had no drops last year. And I just think he is the one player in this group. When I look at where these tight ends can really have an impact that shows up on the stat sheet, it's the touchdown department and Colby Parkinson in specifically, he is the one that I look at the size and the mismatch that he creates for linebackers, corners, safeties, you name it. He's too quick for most linebackers and he's too big for most corners and safeties. And so that is a matchup problem that I don't feel like they have exploited enough. I didn't think they did it last year. I feel like he should be one of Geno's go-to targets when they are inside the 20s because that gives them a chance to get a touchdown. Just let him high point the football. There are very few guys in the league that are going to be able to defend that. So I really look at this entire group, but Parkinson being the headliner, I don't think the receptions are going to be there compared to a lot of their peers because they're just not going to be a lot of targets, and that's going to limit the receiving yardage. I don't know if there's going to be a lot of big plays from this group, though Parkinson and Fant can stretch the seam. And sometimes Disley can really surprise you doing that too. He just kind of sneaks out there. I just think defenses don't expect he can win downfield and then, oh, he just beat us and he's wide open. But all three of these guys can create those plays. But I think that the category, the stat where the impact may be noticeable is being touchdown vultures. And maybe that takes away from DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. And maybe the running backs don't get as many touchdowns. I could see the tight ends having more productivity when they are inside the 20s this year, which that would be a big win for the Seahawks, because that was one of the things on offense last year that they weren't as efficient at, finishing inside the 20s. Get your tight ends involved, and that's going to open things up for the rest of your offense. So that really, to me, is a wild card. How many touchdowns does this group score? I don't expect a ton of receptions in terms of volume. I don't expect volume and receiving yards but I could see a surprising number 12 13 14 touchdowns between these three guys just because of the talent they bring to the table and the fact that the Seahawks struggled there last year
1: feels like that's a way they could really improve their red zone attack I think they definitely can and I think a lot of that does depend on the running game as well is the rushing attack going to be successful in short yardage scenarios this past season they were not successful and that was a really big problem which is also I think a huge factor in why they chose Charbonnet. But I do agree with you where if there is a volume stat that is going to show, it's going to be the touchdowns. And as you said, it's going to be Parkinson, six foot seven. That is reminiscent of Gronk's size. Six foot seven does not come around the league too often. Jimmy Graham, as well, who was also formerly in a Seattle jersey, that should re- remind Seattle fans all too well of him. And Parkinson just has that that ceiling that you were talking about. None of the other tight ends on the roster really have it. And honestly, going even to the receiving room, none of the other receivers really are a threat in the red zone like Parkinson is. The soft hands, the size, he has everything you're looking for. They just need to take advantage of that. Yeah, they've got to scheme it. That's really what it boils down to. And Gino,
0: I feel like last year there were a few times he wanted to pull the trigger to Colby Parkinson, but he wasn't quite sure if the window was there. Parkinson is one of those guys where you can throw the ball like you're throwing it over everybody's head like you're throwing it out of the back of the end zone. And Parkinson might catch it because he's like Yao Ming's height in terms of NFL. He's a big guy. So you can really let him climb the ladder or in this case, just let him reach his hands up on the ladder because he's probably still on the ground. He creates such an issue for opposing defenses. So that would be one thing last year that really frustrated me watching this offense. I just felt like we can really get these tight ends involved more, and yet. There were games where they just disappeared. They weren't schemed in. And I feel like inside the red zone, that was especially noticeable. And Fans, a player that can do some damage down there. Will Disley's got a history of being good in the red zone, though it's been hit and miss in terms of targets, but he's been very efficient with those opportunities. So all three of those guys. And if Tyler Mabry plays, he has one catch in his career in the red zone, and it was a touchdown. So all of these guys are capable. And that makes, you know, that shows the kind of talent we're looking at here. But again, I think that we're in agreement here that the targets are probably not going to be there for this group, any of these guys, to put up career numbers or anything of that nature. And even as a collective group, they might have a difficult time getting to the number of receptions and yards they had last year. But touchdowns, that might be the one area where we could see this tight end group improve. And, of course, something's not going to show up in the stat sheet, but these guys impact the running back stats. All three of them improved as blockers, especially Colby Parkinson, who might have been their best blocking tight end last year. Overall, I'm not kidding you. He was fantastic last season in that department. So this is a group, Dallas, that when you consider the blocking and all that dirty work that they do, the schematic flexibility in terms of formations, they can run a lot more three tight end sets. I don't know that we're going to see a lot of those this year, Now that Jackson Smith and Jigba's in town, but they just open up the offense a lot. And with all these guys capable of doing a little bit of everything, really all around tight ends. They are invaluable pieces in the offense.
1: It just might not show up in the stat sheet this year. And that's really going to be a shame that it doesn't show up in the stat sheet because on any other team that has less weapons on the receiving core and running backs, it would show up. As we saw this past season, Geno Smith is an absolute threat over the middle of the field. Geno Smith is willing to throw into tight windows in the intermediate, especially on those seam routes. And who would be excellent on those seam routes that we always see Gino Smith ripping to Kobe Parkinson. That would be a perfect seam threat right over the linebacker, right underneath the safety, right in between both for a touchdown. Geno's going to be attempting those windows as he did this past season. It's just this season, is it going to be receivers or is it going to be tight ends now going to be in those positions? That's a really good team. point
0: because I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is a guy that, running from the slot, you're going to be throwing. You're going to be throwing a lot of digs across the middle. You're going to be throwing a lot of drags and crossers, and he's going to occasionally run a seam route or he's going to run a fade from the slot. He will do that sometimes, but I do wonder if that is going to impact the tight end targets because he's going to be getting some of those receptions in the same areas of the field that the Titans did that last year. So that is a really good point, but we can agree. It's a talented position group. It's a group that isn't going to probably get the acclaim that it deserves because they're going to be doing a lot of things that don't show up on a stat sheet, might not have the best receiving numbers individually or as a unit, but collectively this group is still going to be very important for the Seahawks success to be able to score a lot of points this year and meet their expectations of maybe making a deep playoff run. This would be a group that would be heavily involved in making that happen. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith, NFL. You can follow Dallas at Dallas C Cooper, subscribe and follow locked on Seahawks on YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to ensure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, I'll be joined by Nick Lee. The two of us for Blue Friday will continue our forecast Friday series looking at Ken Walker III and Bobby Wagner. Plus, we'll be dishing out our rankings for the Seahawks defensive position groups. Should be a fun episode. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.